0: Our chronological look at the career of Carol Kane continues on praising Kane with the extremely uncomfortable 1982 Australian comedy Norman Loves Rose. Norman Loves Rose. And nobody knows It's Praising Kane. I'm your esteemed host and guide, Liam O'Donnell. And with me is the serious Yahoo fuck, Doug Tilly. How's it going right now, Doug? It's not bad, Liam. It's funny because
1: everyone who's listening can probably tell that Liam has not read any of the notes that I've put up for You know what's him. funny, is, Doug,
0: is that I did read through the notes only so that I would feel a little bit more prepared. I'll let you guys know when we get into that section. There's a lot of Carol Kane news, and so usually... Yeah. I don't feel that bad having not read the notes because there's only a little bit there. I don't worry about it. When I saw how much was here, Doug, I'm like, I need to at least skim this shit because I can't wow. go into every single mm-hmm. one not knowing what it's about because I'll sound ridiculous. So uh-huh. I did a skim. I did not skim the intro though because most of your intros aren't good enough to make me laugh. But uh, serious <laughs> Yahoo got me. That was pretty good. Because we're covering
1: laugh. an Australian movie today, Liam. Yeah, no, and I Yahoo Serious was a very famous uh, Australian comedian. How many Yahoo Serious movies have you seen? I've seen uh, Young Einstein, Mr. Accident, and that is it.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've only seen Young Einstein. You know, In fact, I remember as a kid thinking that Simpsons joke about uh, the Yahoo Serious Film Festival yeah. was very funny, but not knowing who the fuck Yahoo Serious was. Even oh, I, really? Interesting. Even though I had seen... Young Einstein. I didn't know that was you know what I mean. Like I made no connection. There. I just thought, yeah, Australians do have funny th- word things. Like it, there was no connection with like, no, that's a real person. I guess I context clues. I kind of knew it was a real person, but I didn't understand. Well, I actually it. think we
1: should probably explain this to listeners right now. That oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was I'll say there was a movie in the late ni- uh, late eighties, I should say, called Young Einstein, and it was directed and starred. A Australian comedian named Yahoo Sirius at the time in the 1980s mid to late 1980s there was this fascination with Australian culture in the US and Canada as well and this movie was kind of an extension of that a part of it and that movie got like a wide release in the US and in Canada and I remember seeing it in like 1990 and thinking it was pretty amusing and that did lead to a brief fascination with this actor comedian Yahoo Sirius and he did have a couple. I think the rest of his movies probably went straight to video in the in the US. Sure. And and then he just kind of went away. I mean, I'm sure he's still famous in Australia, but uh, I, I don't remember the last time I I heard of an interview or anything like that with him.
0: I remember being really surprised when I realized that Yahoo series was the guy from Young Einstein and not the guy from Crocodile Dundee, because that was the Australian. Paul Hogan. Thing I knew. Again, I just knew, oh, famous Australian stuff, Uh, Crocodile Dundee, like, that's it, like, I didn't have uh, much of a, like, a a view of Australian cinema at the time, which is funny, because I love a lot of Australian movies now, actually, but back then it was like, oh, Young Einstein, that's also, okay, like, I I hadn't made the connection at all, you know.
1: It is what Yahoo Serious is 69 years old, what do you think about that?
0: Mm. Nice.
1: Yeah, nice. <laughs> uh, uh, and also, he was born Greg Gomez Pede. Interesting. Not uh, Yahoo serious, which is... Uh, he also sued the search engine Yahoo uh, years ago. Um, I mean, he is he is the most... He was, at the time, the more famous Yahoo, uh,
0: according to myself. Hmm. Interesting. Isn't that just a word that everybody uses, though? Is that is Yahoo not a common word? Well, it is a common
1: word. Uh, you know what, what it's like? Do you remember uh, when... The Nashville Network rebranded as Spike TV. You know how there's a television station called Spike TV? I do, yes. They were sued by Spike Lee when that happened. And a lot of people were like, what's Spike Lee's got such an ego? But what his point was that the word Spike had become more mainstream and cool because of his association with it and that they actually chose that name because of its association with that coolness, and I believe he was right. I think there was they found out that they had like uh, used his name specifically as one of the reasons they chose that as their
0: title. I mean, to be clear, it really should have been um, Spike from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, but still, you know, it is what it is. I yeah. actually don't know that that was an accurate joke because I don't know the names of the mutants in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles.
1: You want me to find out? If there's one named
0: Spike. I mean, that sounds like there. It should sounds be. like it, but I think I'm wrong actually. So let's just move on. <laughs> let's, uh, let's let's dive into some Carol <laughs> Cade news. You know, let's can just we not do just that. talk about Yadu serious for a bit <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I understand. Uh, you know, a little bit of a spoiler for y'all. Today's movie is not going to be one of those ones where we are so excited to discuss it for y'all. It is uh it is a it was a tough watch. Uh, And it's not even tough in a fun way. So, you know, just, you know, I'll just let you guys know now, this section we're about to do, the new section, might be my favorite part of today's recording. So we'll see what happens. Uh, All right, Doug. So on May 10th, Variety reported about a new film just announced called Between the Temples, an anxious comedy about a cantor and his student. Directed by Nathan Silver, this stars Jason Schwartzman and, of course, the most amazing carol kane what do you think about this this is interesting right it's a, a cantor. he's uh he's having a bit of a crisis and his childhood music teacher is now becoming an adult uh, doing uh, her bat mitzvah, yeah. and they're going to have like w- wacky times together. Not only, not only these two uh, classic, you know, people. Jason Schwartzman. I mean, I guess not everyone likes Jason Schwartzman. I like Jason. Robert I like ben, him, of course. But of course, but of course, Carol Kane is in it. Whatever. We also have. Uh, Dolly DeLeon, I think is how you say that. Yeah, I believe n- so. Name, uh, sort of a standout person from Triangle of Sadness, which I don't know. Doug, did you see Triangle of Sadness? I
1: did, so I know why she's a standout person. Yeah. Have you seen it, Liam? I have. I have.
0: I have. Okay. I have. And,
1: I mean, for those who've seen that movie, I mean, they, they would recognize her from that. Uh, I mean, I'm not sure if her fame is going to transfer into bigger roles, but good for her. Yes. This is interesting to me, Liam. Here's something that I didn't... This is just my ignorance talking, and listeners, please be gentle with me. I I don't know a ton about Jewish culture, oh, okay. and I didn't realize how many films... like I didn't realize that because of Carol Kane's fame coming from Hester Street initially, that her Jewishness was going to be so much a part of a lot of the films that we're going to be talking about and have talked about so far, and this will be uh, consistent for uh, a lot of the upcoming movies that we're going to be talking about and that it it, it it is a defining part of how people see her to this day so it that it would lead into something like this i still think this sounds I would, like still as if it needs a qualifier i think this sounds really interesting but i don't know like i mean it's unless because i don't know much about um the the filmmaker here i don't know like how broad it's going to be i right. don't know yeah. uh, how how insular it's going to be but the idea of a grown Carol Kane. Going through her bat mitzvah—that sounds hilarious to me.
0: I mean, I'll be honest. If we're if we're gonna do an awkward comedy, like a truly cr- like a a comedy that focuses on cringy moments, and you're telling me it's Carol Kane and Jason Schwartzman, that seems like a pretty killer combo yeah. for me to feel uncomfortable. I will say. This might have to be a home watch for me. I don't know how wide a release it's going to get. Oh, I don't whatever. think it's likely to be hitting your local cinema. It just doesn't sound... <laughs> I mean, maybe... But I think even if it did, I here's the thing, Doug, what I'm trying to get to, is that I have a real love-hate relationship with awkwardness in comedy. I say I like it. I pretend that I like it. About 50% of the time in the moment, I literally... I lift my shirt over my face like someone watching a horror movie who doesn't like horror movies. Right. Like, I could... Like, as a good comparison, I could watch the eye-gouging scene in Zombie over and over again and not feel weird. But there are moments of, like, mainstream, like, big studio sitcoms that I literally hide in my shirt because I feel Mm -hmm. so awkward. I still listen. I still want to know what's happening. If I miss something visual, I'll ask Suze, like, what happened, whatever. But I feel so fucking uncomfortable sometimes that, like, I I hide a little bit. And I 100%, it is one of the few places where my reaction and behavior to that reaction feels insane to me. Like, I don't understand. You know what I mean? There's a lot of things I do that other people might be confused by, but I'm like, oh, it's because of this. It's fine. Like, I figured it out. When I do that, I don't know. Because it's an adult thing. When I was a kid, no never affected me didn't bother me whatever something happened as an adult dog where if someone is doing something truly beyond embarrassing i might have trouble watching it it's 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 insane so with this i love the them together i think this is going to be a killer thing if if the script works i think their chemistry will work but i might not be able to make it through the fucking movie I'm just being <laughs> honest.
1: I, I, I would also note that Robert Smigel is in the supporting cast for this which gives me a little bit more hope. I'm obviously a, a big Robert Smigel fan as well.
0: Sure, 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 sure. Uh, now, speaking of comedies that uh, me and you don't always see eye to eye on, uh, <laughs> we, we covered on a recent episode uh, Taxi because of Carol Kane's uh, important role on Taxi. Uh, and I know you are a fan of Taxi, right? You're, I you, do love you Taxi. love, love Taxi. Uh-huh. So recently uh, Tony Danza posted a picture of him with some of his his co-stars from uh, Taxi, including Christopher Lloyd, Judd Hirsch, and of course, Carol Kane. Uh, side note, I do think it's funny that the, the piece here sort of lists them together. I believe that they're all friends. She really was not on the show as much as they were. She, she <laughs> right, eventually became a regular yeah, yeah. part. But sort of saying like, look, the main stars of Taxi reunited. It's like, well, that's not really true. But sure, whatever, <laughs> it's fine. I do believe that like... They're probably friends, though, right? Like, this doesn't feel like force. This is like people who actually know each other getting together. And it it is funny that this was in here because I was recently reminded of Christopher Lloyd because of his guest appearance on the new season of The Mandalorian, which I thought was great. Uh, So, Doug, what do you think about this? Now, I'm going to interrupt you for a second. What happened with Christopher Lloyd?
1: You know how, like, there was a Mm -hmm, point in mm the 90s where he was, like, in everything for a minute, right? He was in that My Favorite Martian remake. Like, he was... And I understand he was getting a little bit older and he was probably slowing down. But it, it wasn't that he just, like, went away. He just disappeared for years and years. Or was, like, doing really small projects. And by the time that he showed up again, you know, his voice was a little more hoarse. I mean, he's an old man at this point. But it's just... I like the fact that he's getting a little bit more profile. But it's just weird. He was such a reliable... Like mainstream, I mean, you think about that period where it went from Back to the Future to The Adams Family to uh, Who Framed Roger
0: Rabbit. I'm not—that's not chronological, but you know, he was
1: so big at that time. Do you and- think?
0: Do you think that some of the roles he was playing then, he was often playing characters who are his age now, and when he got older, maybe it became harder for him to put in those sorts of energetic performances.
1: <laughs> the energy is probably an aspect of, but I mean, like he is. I, look, I don't say this lightly. He is Hollywood royalty. I mean, he
0: is. He's been doing it for 40 years. 40 okay, plus but
1: He's in one flew over the cuckoo's nest.
0: We just, uh, here's the thing. You just said that Hollywood royalty, right, Doug? But here's the deal. Didn't we just cover on another show, Babylon? Isn't the whole story of Hollywood that like 50% of the royalty gets eaten and discarded? Like, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. you know, like saying like he was famous at one point is literally like you could say what you just said as a way to explain to someone why they don't know who the fuck Christopher Lloyd is. Like, oh, who's this old guy? I don't know who he is. Oh, he was really famous like thirty years ago. So of course you wouldn't know him because we had to destroy him and make him go away because we put him in everything. And so then we thought we've overused this this toy. I guess I don't think people got sick of Christopher Lloyd though. I don't. But it also could have been his decision, right? Like how tired was he? How worn out? I, I will say, in another scenario with a different actor, I might be a little more hesitant to agree with you. However. Not just this season of The Mandalorian. Remember he had that turn in uh, I'm Not a Serial Killer? That's right. Fucking great in that. He was yep. actually so good in that. And I think uh, after that he did a few more smaller kind of indie horror things that people thought he was really good in. <clears throat> I don't know that I saw all of them. But I just think he has shown that even now he still has it. Right? Uh, but I do wonder if it was his choice to go away for a little bit. Maybe he felt exhausted. Maybe he needed some time off. Or if uh, he just got to an age where people weren't thinking of him for the, this is, think of this like the Carol Kane thing, right? Like after you were just saying after uh, Hester street, there was a type for who Carol Kane was. And really until she started doing a lot more comedy, then uh, it, it was like people weren't picturing her. Uh, uh, doing anything that was different than that Hester Street, you know, Oscar-nom role, right? And it's funny because one of the things we're going to talk about later, they definitely refer to her as, you know, famous funny woman. That's who she is. Yeah, She's yeah. a funny woman mm-hmm. now. And I'm like, well, now. But, like, there's a huge <laughs> part of her career that she wasn't. It's sort of the thesis of this show. Yeah, yeah. And so I think maybe the same thing happened with Christopher Lloyd. Maybe he doesn't want to do the cartoony figure he wants something more serious and that might have come harder for him i don't know and
1: maybe i mean look i i I have not investigated this maybe he was doing stage work maybe he was doing work that was more personally important to him right i mean it's it's that's perfectly fine it's just weird for someone who was that mainstream to have to kind of rebuild his reputation to a certain extent by you know by doing roles to show that hey i still got it over here i mean i'm glad that people recognize it it's just it's it's unfortunate. We see it with Eric Roberts as well, right? You know, every once in a while, he'll pop up and do a role. And people, like, on The Righteous Gemstones. And like, oh, wait, he's still really good. And then he gets some roles from that. It's just like, well, you knew he was good. Right? He, he he didn't lose it, right? He didn't lose all that talent that he had.
0: I think to some extent, and then we can move on. Because all I was going to ask you was uh, if you were hoping for a taxi reunion, you fucking the, you know, I, I know you didn't
1: read this article that this is from, but I did. That is one thing that they breach, And, like, they're all for it. It's so strange. You're like, oh, yeah, this is a taxi company that exclusively employs 80-year-olds.
0: Get <laughs> out of <laughs> it. Na- I would not. They'd have to come up with another reason to do it, right? Like like they would just like pick a random character has died and then they're all at the funeral, right? Like, Because there's no way they'd all still be employed. In, in this in this economy, Doug? Come on. Well, um, in this economy, it's more likely that they'd still all oh, be employed. Oh, that, that might be. <laughs> well, no, I think they would be forced out. They'd all be working as cashiers at drugstores or something. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah yeah no I think I think you're right it's hard to know exactly what happened with 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 Christopher Lloyd, the same thing that we've talked about with Eric Roberts, but I do think there's this phenomena of you don't just pick someone because they're good. You pick someone because they think they'll help you sell the product. Yeah. And I think that's maybe what happened with Christopher Lloyd is that may you know, because that's really I think what happened with Eric Rob, with Eric Roberts, although we also know that some of it might have been his own kind of like Yeah
1: absolutely he had yeah, a lot of personal yeah. issues, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, but I mean yeah. we didn't hear that necessarily with right. with uh, Christopher Lloyd. I do want to mention that Carol Kane could not look happier in this photo. Oh yeah. <laughs> I
0: mean, I you know, the other thing I was going to ask you so well, let's just dive into right now. How much joy does it make does it give you to think that some of your favorite actors like are just friends and like hang out and stuff? You know, we live in a cynical
1: time. Yeah. Yes. And if you put this same question out to people on Twitter, they're like, I don't care. They could hate each other. As long as the chemistry is there, it's fine. I like it when people like each other, you know? Just like I like it when a director works with the same actor again and again because they have a good relationship, and it's, mm-hmm. some, you know, to me, that means something. I hate the idea of, like, this tension between people. Like, the idea, and I know that people love the Fast and the Furious movies, and it's not that I dislike them or anything like that, but the idea that everyone hates Vin Diesel and they have to actively design the movies around people not having to spend time with them, there is something kind of amusing about that unlike this this you know 100 million dollar level but it's just like what what pleasure would it give you to be an asshole that everyone hates it just doesn't mean like to me it's like there's just nothing fun about that and i get why certain people turn people off and certain people just don't get along but the idea that especially because you know that that old adage that time heals all wounds Maybe when they were on Taxi Together, there was all these kind of personal issues. Who knows? People who are together all the time for that long, there's there's bound to be certain things. But it's just nice to see people who have been in the Hollywood trenches for decades and decades come together and, and you know, be able to – to.
0: maybe there's still personal problems beneath it, but it seems like they're all uh, pretty close. It gives me joy. It, it definitely gives me joy. And – I can see what someone says in an artistic merit sort of sense. Like something can be good even if the actors hate each other and I'll still like the thing. But the idea that people who I like, who I think seem pretty great, are still friends and they hang out and they went to brunch and just hang out at brunch like – that's cool, man. Like, I, I, I think that's great. It's fun. You know, if I see a bunch of actors who, whether I like their work or not, I suspect that they're dickheads and they're out to brunch, yeah, that also sucks. Like, I'm, I'm willing to make these personal calls, Doug. Like, I like Carol Kane. I like, uh, 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 Tony Danza, Judd Hirsch, like I like Christopher Lloyd. I like these people. They seem nice to me. Who knows? I could be wrong, but they seem like I mean, good folks. I also want to mention. I don't mind when someone's a little prickly, right? I don't mind when someone sure, who might yeah, be, yeah, 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 right, yeah, right, right. Or
1: someone who takes their work seriously and stuff like that. No, that's that's not, fine. That's, not yeah, yeah. that's fine. It's just the people who are just like, overtly pricks. I just don't get it. I don't. To me, that that sounds like a really stressful way to live your life.
0: Yeah. Okay, let's keep going here. We got an interesting one. Uh, People may recognize the name Chris Sarandon from Princess Bride, Fright Night. Uh, He has a podcast, which I did not know, called Cooking by Heart. Uh, So I guess he just has people on to talk about cooking. And recently, he had Carol Kane on. She came on. Uh, she talked about, you know, some of her food preferences, childhood food stuff. The the piece that Doug quoted here says food fetish. That makes me uncomfortable. Yeah. Just because you like something when you're a kid doesn't make it a fucking fetish. Well, maybe, uh, but, maybe
1: in the context of the actual episode, they elaborate on that. I guess. I guess so. <laughs> uh,
0: she talked about living in Paris, being obsessed with uh, chocolate uh, croissants, uh, you know, and uh, basically gets into a bunch of uh, things with... Cooking and and, uh, some of her work as well, whether that's like in children's theater uh, or some of the uh, sets she worked on later. I just think this is really interesting. Doug, are you going to make us listen to this episode? Well, we didn't make a blood
1: oath, Oath, so I won't make you do it. I am going to, to include it in the show notes. I was just... Because I do, do, you know, before we do these episodes, I do a little search for the recent Carol Kane news. This came up kind of randomly, and I was both shocked to discover, I love Chris Sarandon as an actor. I think he's very, very good. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And he also seems like a very kind of learned person, someone who's very curious. It's great. I will say that the quality of, and I mean, we're not one to talk about the the, um, technical aspects of a podcast in any great detail, but it's... Like, he's talking to her over Zoom. The quality of it is not great. Uh, it's a little shaky. Uh, and But it also feels kind of... It kind of feels like Chris Saran is just doing it himself. And I think that's kind of sweet. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's yeah. just like... Yeah. It's, just, I, it's, it's like, I'm interested in this. This podcast are our thing. But it, it was a little distressing to go to the link. And it had been up for like a month. And there was like a couple of hundred views on it. I'm like... People got to know about this. So maybe it's really good. I mean, I'm. it's still Chris Sarandon and Carol Kane talking about a very interesting topic. So uh, I might not check it out immediately. But if you are a listener who does check it out and wants to report back about uh, whether we should check it out, let us know. And if uh, I hear from three people, Liam, three, then we'll have to watch it.
0: <laughs> I mean, look, I... I'm curious about it because it's about food. Like anyone who listens to podcasts that are on bigger networks knows that there's like a a whole slew of rich people who are like, hey, I'm famous and rich and I had some other assholes on and we drank wine and talked about what it's like to be rich assholes. And it's amazing to me how many of these podcasts there are and how many of them are so – not self aware. They're literally podcast versions of like the lifestyles of the rich and famous. It's 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 disgusting. So the idea that here's Chris Sarandon, who I don't picture as being quite that, you know, uh, jet-setting, having people on to talk about food, which is something I think can be strangely emotional for people. I know there sure. are plenty of cooking things that aren't that. They're very detached, but when people are talking about their own personal experience with the food, you can hit on some real memory stuff. I think that's interesting now uh, i don't love the sound quality thing that kind of makes me pause a little bit but the more we're talking about the more i think like i don't know if 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 i you know have the time i'm i might check this out because i just those are two people i'd like to hear talk to each other
1: yeah so. yeah absolutely yeah i mean it i i, I don't want to make it sound like it's unlistenable or anything like that um but it's uh yeah well it, I think it's a really fun idea. There's lots of podcasts that are similar, that's for sure. But not sure. all of them are, are hosted by Chris Sarandon.
0: Yeah, I think that's true. So, uh, something we've talked about previously what is the uh, newer Star Trek tra- show, Strange New Worlds. Uh, the second seed of which is going to be premiering on Saturday. Second Thursday.
1: seed, huh? How about season? Maybe you should try to... I said season. Yourself.
0: No, it's cool. Just, Roll judge, back, just, the K, just judge my accent, Doug. I get it. You're so Canadian <laughs> and you overcame your drunken <laughs> Irish... Uh, uh, background, the, whatever that accent is from the island where you grew up. So you get to judge my spaking. But sometimes William, I talk funny. The the tip of the tongue, the teeth, the lips. No, I hate enunciating. It makes me feel bad. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> Stranger World's new season, <laughs> season two, <laughs> is premiering on Thursday, June 15th. And uh, one of the new characters is Lieutenant Pelia Pelia. Pelia, Pelia, Pelia. Uh, uh Carol King. Carol King's going to be on the new season of Strange New Worlds. I, Doug, did you knowing that she was going to come on? Have you started season 1 yet to feel prepared for season 2? I have
1: not. Uh I actually I was only recently discovered from you, Liam, that you're not really a Star Trek person, even though you do like the Next Generation quite a bit. Um and that gave me all sorts of pause in regards to are diving into Strange New Worlds. My understanding, and I think I've mentioned this on previous episodes, is that of the newer Star Trek series, the one that people universally are positive on is Strange New Worlds. Outside of maybe the third season of Picard, which just ended, which people seem to be very high on as well. Otherwise, people like the Star Trek Discovery, people are very mixed on. Lower Decks, some people I don't know. I mean, I heard that's very good, but some people don't feel really strongly positive about that as well. But this Strange New Worlds, Supposed to be pretty good. Also, they filmed some of it in my neck of the woods, literally uh, a place that I work at sometimes. That <laughs> they were filming uh, *Strange New World* semi recently, so I'm very curious about it. It sounds like it's more, and maybe I'm wrong, and I apologize, listeners, if I am. It sounds like it's less. Um, continuity based. So they're kind of one and done episodes that are and that is what I love about Star Trek. I hate the idea of like all this continuity that you have to hang on to. Yeah. So uh yeah, I'm I'm gonna check it out. I I like the idea.
0: Well and I think they're definitely doing interesting things, right? So one of the other additions is uh, James T. Kirk, uh, played by Paul Wesley, who uh, technically we've seen Paul Wesley in this role previously on the show, but he was a different dimensions for ver- he's an alternate reality James T. Kirk, and now he's playing the James T. Kirk younger that we all sort of know know and maybe love if you like uh, classic Star Trek. And I knowing that that's already a thing, like yeah, he's doing the guy, but he was the other version of the guy before. It's like okay, well that's at least they're keeping it weird. Uh, And they're really sort of doing something more that feels a little bit more like uh, experimental. Because, you know, I haven't watched these newer Star Treks, but the people I know who don't like them do feel like we're watching something that feels more like an adventure show. And, like, there were plenty of episodes of Star Trek that were not fucking adventures. They were just weird, right? There weren't – things were just happening that were strange. And sometimes they were even more – comedic than yeah, they were absolutely. anything else. And yeah. so uh, I, I'm not like a purist, you know? Like, as much as I spend a lot of time watching Next Generation, I'm not out here being like, if it's not like the OG and and TNG, or even let's throw in Deep Space Nine, since I know there's a lot of love for Deep Space Nine out there, then I'm like bummed because- Liam,
1: there's a lot of very funny Deep Space Nine episodes too, by the
0: way. All I'm saying is, I'm not so attached to those that I'm gonna feel personally offended that these new shows are doing something different. But the level of excitement among people I know who care about this has been so low that I haven't taken a chance. However, knowing Carol Kane's going to be on this show, knowing that uh, it does seem to be doing something maybe a little bit different, I think I'm going to give it a try. Uh, I don't know if we... You know we're going chronologically, so we might be dead before we get to this in our chronological. Uh, uh, I mean, you can know.
1: you can enjoy these things in your spare time, Liam. That you are allowed to do. Them. I know, that,
0: but that's what I'm saying. I'm not. I'm not trying to say I'm doing this for the sake of the show. I think I'm kind of into checking it out, and maybe maybe I'll find some love. I mean, I'll tell you what, Doug. I have been a medium Star Wars person for some time. Where yeah, I have love for the original ones, but I'm getting kind of tired of whatever. Even the shows that I watch, like I. I I I stuck pretty much with Mandalorian. I wouldn't be like, you guys got to watch it. It's so crazy. I'm like, yeah, it's pretty good. It's fine. But like there are movies I haven't bothered to watch. I haven't really explored anything. Uh, And we recently started watching Rebels with Maeve. Star Wars Rebels, I believe. Yeah, the cartoon cartoon Mm -hmm. show Star Wars Rebels with Maeve just to have something to watch with her. Not out of any sort of like deep Star Wars affection. And I got to tell you, Doug, I'm fucking pulled in. Rebels is, like, moving up as one of my favorite Star Wars things. And one of the reasons is a lot of Rebels is Monster of the Week. It's a horror show, like, 50% oh, of the time. Like, mo- like I, I don't want to say most, but a lot of episodes are, oh, no, something's here. What is it? It's a monster or it's an Inquisitor or whatever. But it's, it's I don't want to say film because it's animated, but it's animated like a horror thing to the point where Maeve has been significantly kind of scared sometimes that I got to help her get through the episode. And so, like, I think that's fucking great. That's a great way to come at the material. So knowing that Rebels has managed to get me back excited about Star Wars, which I was overall kind of burnt out on, you know, if Strange New Worlds gets me excited about Star Trek and suddenly I'm watching some weird shit like Picard, fine. That's great. I would love to have that interest reignited for me because I don't care – I I don't, I'm not, like, excited that I don't care about Star Trek anymore. It's sort of like a, a non-issue. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I get it. I, it's so funny that on a Carol Kane podcast, we're now t- talking about Star Wars and Star Trek. <laughs> Yeah, I'm I mean, not excited,
0: I, though, that she's going to be on there. I do think this this piece that we have here is, like, sure that because of who she is, it's going to be a primarily comedic role. Yeah, And I feel right. like that is not fair to her. It, it, it I might be say, true, I, but... I watched the trailer for this new season
1: uh, without having a lot of context, and it is a very funny trailer. And I think that that turns some people off, right? Because it maybe is a little too They want something broadly. a
0: little serious, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well,
1: at least the, the p- potential for seriousness, which I hope it still has. I will say that one of the uh, little bits of information that's on this article that we are, are looking at here is that Jonathan Frakes, um, of course, the, the famous Star Trek actor, who um, he, he also is a director, he's directing an episode this season that's a crossover between Strange New Worlds and Lower Decks, the other animated Star Trek oh, series. Oh, Interesting. And apparently this episode will have an animated component as well, which, I mean, that sounds fun and interesting, but that could also go really wrong very yeah. easily. Yeah, no, that's
0: true. That's fair. That's fair. Well, but Maybe that, we'll get the animated Carol Kane. That, that'd be fun too. Well, I, I we're both excited that we've had this much Carol Kane news to share. I love that there's, like, new stuff for us to talk about, since some of our other podcasts, there's uh, sometimes less things to talk about. Uh, but we have to cut us off there, Doug, because we have a gripping Interesting. Well oh no, no, we're talking about Norman loves Rose. Oh, we have a shit. Norman to loves about. Rose. <laughs> we're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, we're gonna talk about 1982's possible sex crime. Norman loves. <laughs> it might be Rose. illegal for us to talk about this now. That yeah, I think we'll about see. It. We'll see. We're gonna find out. We'll right be right this. back. This is Rose. This is Norman. Norman loves Rose. And nobody knows. And this is Michael, Rose's husband and Norman's brother. Norman's a well adjusted 13 year old. Except for one thing he's in love with Rose. What was
1: that for? Only for being the best sister in law I have. Do
0: you know, he could have been a proper doctor if he wanted. It's okay, Mama. No, I. I could cut my tongue. You said it's okay, Mama. A teenage boy falls hopelessly in love with his new sister-in-law. When she gets pregnant, someone raises the question that he might be the father. A notion that he does nothing to discourage. It's 1982's Norman Loves Rose. Uh, side note, that description is not really how the movie works at all. Not even
1: not even close, really. No,
0: it's re- no. oddly far off. It's almost that description sounds like a movie
1: that you could it wouldn't be funny necessarily but that it wouldn't be as bad taste as this fucking movie.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is a movie in which you are fully aware that that is his fucking child. Uh, and even if it's not his child, he at least participated in activities that could have produced that child. And you get to know about it as the audience. Cause you were dumb enough to watch this movie. Okay. So this was directed by Henry Safran. Um, so Henry Safran is a uh, Paris born, uh, but he ended up uh, having a lot of his career in Australia after, Uh, The 1960, uh, but before that he worked in French television, worked in Britain for a little bit, uh, ends up in Australia uh, where he was working for ABC, which is not the ABC that people know in the US, it's the Australian Broadcasting Company uh, which does lots of stuff. Um, uh, He has done a variety of films such as uh jenny in 1962 is a tv movie uh a sound of trumpets in 1964 storm boy listen to the lion uh uh bush
1: i didn't include it here but he went on when he moved back he moved to the united states in his later career to do like uh american television so he directed episodes of acapulco heat and space Mm. above and beyond so a lot of like Mm. uh yeah syndicated tv stuff
0: Sounds great. He also wrote the script for this. Uh, apparently, he was looking for a comedy script. I guess these other movies that I've never heard of are not comedies. And uh, and he couldn't find any he liked, so he wrote it himself. Thank God he did, because he really got to show us his comedic chops. He was, you
1: know what he was thinking one day? He's like, you know what? What all these scripts I'm reading right now? What they're
0: missing is statutory rape.
1: <laughs> that's what I really need I to mean,
0: include. The, you forget, Doug. This is 1982. So what he was at, what he actually said was all these statutory rape scripts. Scripts I've been reading are all men raping little girls. What if a woman raped a little boy? That would be a real twist. And I mean that's and, a real fodder for comedy.
1: Not to paint with a broad brush, but that's a very French way of thinking. <laughs>
0: I'm just. All I'm saying is that it's not that this sort of thing was uncommon then. And when we complain about this movie, I don't want to make it sound like we don't know that there was a lot of scripts that were whatever. It's it's the it's the idea that this is a fun, silly comedy that kind of makes this even worse. Though a lot of those other movies are also terrible. I'm not going to say that this is. Uh, you know, the same as those other movies in some ways, but what's that movie her.
1: with? I don't know if you know it offhand. It's Michael Caine stars in yes. it, and he, yeah, yeah, and he, he falls in love with like a. Uh, I mean, the, the thing about all the movies that we would be referencing here, which are gross about old men falling in love with like young women, is that those women still tend to be, and this does not make it uh, much better, but they tend to be like in the 17, 18 year range. But in this movie, we're talking about literally he's 12 when the fucking movie starts he's
0: 12 years old yeah and he he turns 13 and that's like the the big thing uh there are ones i hate to say it, but there are ones where the the young women are younger than 7 yeah i mean it's unfortunate cuz this world is a fucking uh, yeah, cuz it's a cuz it's a nightmare but you you are right. Compared to the majority of them, he's even younger, which I guess is supposed to be part of why it's so funny. Uh, as we, as you know, we're covering it on the show, so it stars Carol Kane. Also, uh, Tony Owen as Norman. That's the young uh, victim. Uh, Myra DeGroote as the mother. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> you're, you're you're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> David Dowder uh, as uh, his brother Michael. Barry as Charles. Sandy Gore as Maureen. Uh, I don't know who any of these people are. I don't know why I'm reading their names. I mean, um,
1: they're, they're all blue on. On Wikipedia, so they must have had lengthy, interesting careers that we're just not very familiar
0: with. Yeah, I I mean, let's put it out there. For those of you who, the few people tuning in because they just are uh, fans of Australian sex comedies, and they just want us to respect this as an art form, I don't know that I'm that familiar with Australian film overall, and certainly not movies like this. So, apologies, I guess. Uh, This film was nominated for four Australian Film Institute Awards, which I think is... Crazy, but they're all for performances, so I guess that that's okay. Uh, maybe is that okay? Yeah, that's okay.
1: Look, it's the same thing that happens here in Canada where because there's so few Canadian movies, especially ones that get wider releases, then like, we used to have the Genies, but now they're called something else. They're, they're called the Canadian Screen Awards. You'll, if you go through the history of it, you'll find all sorts of weird things. Anytime in a famous American actor made an appearance in a, a Canadian movie, they'd always win an award. That's right, yes, 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 yes,
0: yes, that makes sense. Well, regardless. It didn't win anything, but it was nominated. Uh, I think we've sort of shown our hand a little bit, but we should still start with just the general thing so we can give you let you give a summation, Doug. What did you think overall of Norman Love's Rose?: Those who have listened
1: to our most recent episode of Praising Kane," when I introduced this movie to you at the very end of that episode, it was with the knowledge that it was it was a bad taste movie, that this was a movie that had not aged well, and even in its time was a bad idea. Um, I do think that at the time that this was made, audiences maybe were a little more... They didn't give a shit. Right? They didn't care as much about that. So most of the contemporary reviews for this movie, even though they're like, hey, it's kind of strange, isn't it, that he's young? Most of them posited as, as this kind of like male fantasy, right? But like, it's it's a really uncomfortable movie to watch, and not just in retrospect. It's just a really strange concept to base a movie around it's not even like puppy love which there are movies about that that you could make there are movies that exist and there are movies that that uh concepts around that i should say that you could get some humor out of, of of a coming of age a young jewish boy who is coming of age and he falls for his uh sister-in-law and you know he's 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 tangling with these strange emotions that's not what this movie is this is about a kid who wants to fuck his sister-in-law and then finds out that she's open to the idea because she's so desperate to get pregnant and then he likely, in the con- in the context of the movie, impregnates her. And then she completely loses all interest in him whatsoever. And even though that could be... Like, that is mentally scarring and horrific when you think about that as a concept. The movie plays that for laughs as well. And then it ends with... And this is... I mean, it is a spoiler, but who gives a shit? It ends with him coming on to a- another older woman, another neighbor of his. And she is into it. He is 13, Liam. And not only is he 13 it's and again it's hard to make qualifiers here he looks fucking 13 right he he's a child he's a fucking young prepubescent child it is so crazy that this fucking movie exists and it's not only just like a comedy it's a broad comedy about this yep. jewish family you know and, and the fact that they're jewish is also a big part of the comedy and I, I i just don't really it just it that none of that stuff plays for me whatsoever um there's a part and i mean it, it really is only a small part of the movie where there are young Jewish boys who are uh, all kind of going through the training for their bar for their bar mitzvah and all the stuff that has to all the ceremony that has to go around it i, I apologize if ceremony isn't the right word but the, one of the boys is talking about a sexual encounter that he had with his own cousin which is already fucked up right and he talks about how he basically groped her by uh they were in a bed together and they were eating cookies or biscuits or something and he put crumbs in the bed and as he was brushing them off he groped her and that is played as a comedic and b as this kind of important step in his sexual evolution all this movie really gets across to the viewer is that when it comes to sex and sexuality australians are fucked like they're this is by the way not like this movie doesn't take place in the 1950s it's supposed to be in the 1980s everyone in it is just they don't know what's going on the guy is icing down his balls because he can't get his wife pregnant because he has a low sperm count that's also like a big point of humor in the movie. Uh, I did not enjoy it, Liam, and also I found it interminable
0: (laughs) when I was watching it. (laughs) I mean, there's a few ways. Let's, obviously, first and foremost, uh, and this affects the other things, but it's worth saying in and of itself. It's a gross concept that the movie doesn't play in a way that tries to focus on some innocent aspect. Like you said, a puppy love thing. It's not that. This is a, this is, very clearly about sexual activity, and it it brings that home. There's literally a shot of Carol Kane's face as she's being pleasured by Norman. Now, there's no shot of Norman, and I guess it's up to your imagination what exactly is happening there, but it's sexual. There's no way around it. This is not a crush thing. They are engaged in activity, and that's fucking gross. Even if this was the best-made, funniest movie I'd ever seen in my life, that's fucking gross, Right. And then it's a shitty comedy. And what's more, Doug, I gotta ask you this, right? Like, yeah, yeah. with a comedy, like, with any comedy, but you know, uh, this kind of comedy specifically, there's a pre- like, is the comedic premise just a guy's? But uh, you know, a kid's brother is so fucking impotent in his own way. Who, by the way, this poor guy like he was forced into this marriage because they didn't like his last girlfriend. He's not actually in love with her. He seems not really interested in sex at all. I the the whole thing like this dude sucks, but he like is also in a shitty situation. And then his little kid brother, you know, is fucking his wife, and um. Is the comedic premise just that idea that, like, this guy sucks so bad that his 13-year-old brother has sex with his wife? It's crazy. Is the comedic presence supposed to be about their Jewishness, that, like, she needs a baby so bad? It's so important for her to have a child that no one notices that she's having sex with her 13-year-old brother-in-law? Is the comedic premise just, like... um, the idea that like this is how horny boys are that they would go after this you know, a woman like this like what exactly is supposed to be funny because as you pointed out there's a lot of jokes around their Jewishness like she get her, his mom gets when he isn't feeling well his mom gets medical advice of what he should be eating and mm. she makes him chicken soup instead because that's yeah. just what you do is make chicken soup okay I guess uh, also the idea that he's sick because he's they think he's sick because he's been jerking off too much. Yeah. But actually he's just been fucking his adult sister-in-law too much, which is grosser. Is really I guess the question there, but uh but you know what's what uh... All of that feels psychotic. Like you don't get a shot from the doctor because you jerk off a lot, or else I would have had a million shots when I was a teenager. None of that works. Remember, the, the doctor
1: right. does say he's low in iron, right? That's that's his whole idea. But I actually don't think that your iron levels can be affected significantly by
0: jerking off. To no, but they all they all know that's what's going on. So much so, by the way, that his shitty brother and his even more shitty friend, who is. For some reason, part of the plot has left his wife and is living with a younger model type. They want to get him uh, an older woman to have sex with to keep him from jerking off so much. Is like a plan that they hatch, which by the way ruins his partner's his uh, his business partner slash friend's relationship with uh, the woman he left his his wife for. Which I guess is also supposed to be funny to some extent. Absolutely, it is. So, Doug, what is going on? What is the what is the central comedic premise here that they're basing a lot of these jokes around? Is it about statutory rape? Is it about Jewishness in an Australian context? Or is there possibly this higher level of satire that we're just fucking missing? I think we have to think contextually in
1: terms of the time that this movie came out, where there was a slew post-Animal House of sex comedies. Sure, That. Yeah. were we're movies that finally were able to be a little more frank about the idea of sexuality in a kind of on a mainstream level with actual name actors and things like that and i think that this is still an extension of that this the, the joke about this movie is just generally sex is funny sexual politics are funny things to investigate because they have not been explored as deeply In movies uh, as other subject matter and this movie is gonna dive deep in a way it's gonna talk about masturbation it's gonna talk about impotency it's gonna talk about things that you don't usually see and maybe to a certain audience because there were positive reviews for this movie when it came out maybe for certain audiences at the time they were like this is a breakthrough holy shit I can't believe they're talking about this stuff with 40 years of movies that have gone much further and you know are much better and funnier than this we don't have the perspective of it. And, you know, this is as kind as I'm going to be into this movie. That said, those other movies of this time period that also have not aged very well, like things like Porky's and stuff like that, which also involve a lot of kind of uncomfortable situations and things that would be considered very inappropriate from the perspective of 2023, none of them are about a fucking 12-year-old having sex with someone who's probably in their late 20s, early 30s. Like an adult, like a full-flown fucking adult fucking a 12 year old. This like the idea that 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 was a concept that was was going to be a central part, like really the central part of your fun sex comedy, that is so messed up, man. And and again, it and- and- I want, it was I want, it was noted by some reviewers at the time to how messed up that was.
0: I want to point out too that we've we've mentioned a couple of times the Jewishness which is, you know, cultural to some extent. There's also a a religious part to the comedy here, right? Because yes, he he hears the idea that a brother might be obligated to um uh step in when his brother died with his With the uh, his sister in law that like to to take care of the widow, yes, and he interprets that as his basic right to fuck his brother's wife, and then when it becomes clear that she's not going to necessarily leave uh, his brother for him, the thirteen year old he tries to do various voodoo curses on his brother. So like, I mean, let's face it. He tries to kill his own brother. He tries, he, he, he does things to kill his. So this is a a movie where the comedic thing is that, Oh, look, a young Jewish boy is misinterpreting the old Testament. And now he is both (laughs) committing like, like statute. You know, he's, he's engaged in a sexual relationship that is basically incest. And he's trying to murder his brother. And all and that's he, and very he's, he's funny. it's guy. very funny actually, and he's the guy you like. And by the way, he's not done because now that he's impregnated his his sister in law, uh, he's gonna get a new older lady to have fun with. Like, well, I mean, really, what the crux of this movie is
1: is if you are it doesn't matter if you are successful in your business life and that it doesn't matter if you seem like a per- perfectly decent person, even if you might be a little dry and boring. If you are impotent, you might as well fucking kill yourself. Because well, you are not worth being alive. You are not worth having. The, the, you're not having Carol Kane at home, who looks disinterested when she stares at you, who basically treats you like you are complete dog shit at all times. Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, and not only that, but take a take an, uh, a critical view of like Norman himself, right? It doesn't matter that you are literally a non-sexual 13-year-old who all of us are pretty sure has not undergone puberty yet. If you have enough confidence, every woman you set your sights on will want to fuck you. Because this next woman who is taken aback, not in an offense way, but in a, oh, no, am I going to have sex with this 13-year-old way? All he is is confident. He is confident with her, and suddenly she's considering statutory rape. And the same thing with Carol Kane. He literally kisses her. That's all. He's in bed with her. He kisses her. That's all she fucking needed. Let's get this thing going on. And so it's 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 also about how these women are not real people. Now, to to be fair, you could also argue Norman is not a real person. I don't know if that's a limitation of the actor or something, but like There's almost no character to Norman other than the acts that he does. He doesn't really show us who he is, really. There's not a lot of talking from him that would reveal who he is as a person. But one of the things about that that made me happy was uh, I didn't want too much more talking in this movie, Doug, because of the fucking accents. Doug, I want you to talk to me about the accents in this movie, because this is one of the parts of the movie that is upsetting but it is not like bad, or is bad, but is not upsetting, right? Like I'm not going to take deep offense to the variety of weird ways people talk in this movie. So let's talk about that for a little bit and then we'll come back to the sex crimes.
1: Yeah. I, okay. Th- this is one thing about this movie, Norman loves Rose, which anyone who's listening right now, you can watch it right now. There's a couple of versions on YouTube. Yeah, it's easy to track down. That said, I don't believe it's ever been released outside of VHS. So right, all you're going to be watching is a VHS rip, which is important for me to note here because that VHS rip, it's it, it's fine. It's totally watchable, but the audio is not terrific, as it wouldn't be because it's, again, just a rip of a VHS. And you combine that with the accents, the very strong combination of both Australian and also uh, like Jewish stereotypical accents.
0: I, that's the only way I can well, really put it. Because, because some of them sound like a New York version of yes. a Jewish stereotype, which wouldn't be... Even that's surprising to me, because that has become a common way to signal, quote-unquote, Jewishness. It's that we're in Australia. And so some of the older Jewish people sound like they live in Brooklyn, and some of them sound like they live in Australia. And there's no explanation as to the difference there. And Carol Kane sounds like both. She's trying to sound Australian while still being from Brooklyn, and the whole thing is weird.
1: I feel a little bad, Liam, because I spent the first 20 minutes thinking that she was supposed to be... An American who just was I, living yes, in Australia. I agree. I agree. I didn't realize that she was trying for the accent, and then I thought that she was trying to do a British accent, just as some sort of in between. Before realizing a little later on that she was actually attempting an Australian accent. And look, let's face it: an Australian accent is fucking difficult. It, it really is, is. Yes. And she already has a very distinctive way of speaking, and she the fact that she's trying to meet it halfway by because and that is something that we already mentioned because she was so associated with Jewish characters at this point. That that was kind of part of, of what she was bringing to the table, so to speak. So she's she's l- l- trying to mix these accents together, and it's a fucking mess, is what it is. I thought the fact that she really loved watching soap operas like General Hospital and stuff that was supposed to be a sign of her Americanness, not that not that that she was just a bored Australian. But like, where's her family? Like, where's her relations?
0: It's just it's like she just kind of came from nowhere. Shh, that would have made a lot more sense if she was from like America. She literally comes out of oh, no even his story about how they got together. It's like she came out of it was almost like she was like mail ordered by his parents. Who who, by the way, th- to further this thing, they live next door. Like there's a lot of weird things about his relationship with his parents and they're all their relationships. And maybe that's supposed to be part of the humor too, you know? I don't know. It's you it's know it's was, funny it we was were just odd.
1: talking in the intro, in the introductory section about this upcoming movie with Jason Schwartzman and Carol Kane. And I was just thinking as you were talking about the movie that the central kind of idea of this is very similar to Jason Schwartzman's breakthrough movie Rushmore, right? Where he is a young man who is becomes sexually and kind of mentally obsessed with this woman. And he's in competition with an older man and the way that that movie plays out and the way that it's so much more mature than this movie. I mean, the fact that he's an older student that, 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 and, and, and looks and sounds older probably helps make it less uncomfortable. But the movie confronts the uncomfortableness, right? And the, and also gives the woman agency in it. In this case, who knows what Carol Kane's fucking head is at in regards to, to her character, right? We see her kind of tease Norman in this, and I don't mean that as a way. It's like, oh, look at her, you know, as a woman. Like she undresses in front of him. And he audibly is, audibly, he visibly is not upset by it, but is like titillated by it. And she just keeps on going with it. And, and there, there seems to be an enjoyment in her making him feel this way. And it, that kind of leads to him, I guess, making that big move when they're laying in bed together, which is already, you know, crossing certain lines. It's a real bizarre way that this relationship develops.
0: It's hard because I don't want to obsess over it too much, but it is—it's just a conundrum, right? Because it doesn't seem like a good idea. It's not very funny. Like, it's the idea seems bad and gross. The execution is pretty bad, and in the end, I don't even see like what they're aiming for. So I think it all I think kind part of it hits is that they're th- like th- this is the
1: thing that I have a conundrum about. Like outside of the weird sexual politics and the disgusting aspect of its central.
0: Is this movie making fun of Jewish people? That's another thing I couldn't... Well, but to be fair, there is plenty of, you know, art made by Jewish people making fun of Jewish people. Absolutely there is. So I don't want to say that if it is mocking Jewish people, it's therefore anti-Semitic. You know, half of Jewish art is saying, aren't we ridiculous? And that's fine, but I can't tell in the context of the movie... So we don't know for sure whether this writer-director is Jewish or not. But even if we were to allow, well, maybe he is. There's certainly some of these actors are themselves Jewish, so they probably wouldn't work with a director who was making fun of them, you know, whatever. But it's it's not clear in the context of the movie if the humor is supposed to be their Jewishness or not, right? Like, in a number of ways, whether it's the use of the Old Testament, whether it's his even his bar mitzvah, like, is that scene supposed to be funny um, it's just because none of the humor works in particular anyway, it's not clear what I guess what I'm saying here is what is the perspective of this movie, the perspective of this movie about Jewishness, about statutory rape, about impotence, about, you know, romance and love. It's just not clear to me that I understand because people discount this, but comedy is hard to interpret it if you don't get the perspective of the person who's making the comedy, like, why is this funny? Why do you think this is funny? And therefore I will, I will also think it's funny or not. Right. And like in this movie, I get that there are a few places there are gags where you can say, Oh yeah, that's supposed to be funny. But a lot of the movie stuff happens and I don't know why it's happening. And I don't know if I'm supposed to think it's funny or not. And that's, it's a weird place to be with a movie that is, a broad comedy. This isn't some sort of like highbrow, intellectual, witty thing where you're like, I don't know if I understand this humor or not. I just don't know if any of it really lands as humor.
1: There's a part where Norman's mother, she goes out to like a club or or she's at some event where she's surrounded by her friends and they're asking about whether her her daughter-in-law has gotten pregnant yet. Yes, right. And it's one of the things that's kind of not hammered home but certainly is suggested that there's a lot of pressure for uh for norman's older brother and and carol Kane's character to have a baby and like that is a central part of their relationship it's very very important if they don't have it it's either gonna look like that they don't want kids which would be horrible for the context of this family or be that uh that there's something wrong with the brother right which we find out that there may be even if Do you think there's also a suggestion, I hate to say this, but I read it in a number of reviews, that his brother is supposed to be gay?
0: So there is some of that with um, the way he talks about not being attracted to Carol Kane at all. But I think that ignores the idea that he had been in a relationship with a non-Jewish girl with large breasts. Yeah. And they go out of their way to make sure you know that she had large breasts. And the suggestion seems to be... That's who he wants to be with. Because with, his father is, tells him
1: like what he should do if, if he's not attracted to his wife. Just think about Jane Fonda. And that seems to work for him for a while.
0: To be fair, the picture he has of Jane Fonda is not a sexy picture at all. He picks one of her <laughs> least least sexy you know role pictures he could find. Which, to it's be the honest... Poster,
1: it's the poster for 80 for Brady. <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. No, 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 no. Uh, but it's, it's not a particularly sexy picture. And I think that that is... For me, Doug, that was one of the few times where I went, that's a joke, and I recognize it's a joke. It's not funny, but at least I could go, hey, that's a joke. They made a joke. Cool. Okay. I get Cool. I recognize that you made a joke there because there's a lot of moments in this movie that I don't know if they're supposed to be funny or not. But, no, I don't think he's meant to be gay. I do think there is a suggestion that in a a Jewish context, you are more likely to feel pressured to get married to someone who you don't love – I think there's a suggestion of that all around him. That's that's what's going on with his friend in theory. That that's why he left his wife. They're not right. in love, and he's actually in love with this other woman, who, by the way, this other woman who in another film we would be meant to hate, and I guess we might be meant to not like her here, is the only voice of moral character because when they try to acquire uh you know, they don't say a sex worker, right? But you know, they're trying to get someone she knows to have sex with a 13 year old boy. She's deeply offended and she leaves this motherfucker because yeah. he brought it up in the first place and outright she- yells at him, calls him a pervert in public anytime she sees now, him. No, I'm not suggesting his parents wouldn't have done the same thing, but she's the only person who gets to know that this is on the table as a possibility a, an adult having sex with a child and be like, Ew, fuck you. Like, she's the yeah. only. She becomes like the moral center of the movie instead of the gross lady he left his wife for. And I think that's weird also when the wife becomes a possible sex partner for Norman at the end of the movie.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's a. Uh... Look, it's a really unpleasant movie to watch. <laughs> okay, uh, okay. I, 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 I want to stop, though, Doug, sure. and say,
0: is there any part of the movie that worked for you? Is there anything that, like, because we are shitting on it, and we said that, like, the nicest thing you could say maybe was that, uh, you know, this or that, whatever. Is there anything that, the, about the filmmaking itself or about the movie that you felt like, okay, well, that part <laughs> works? Like, that I is mean- <laughs> that makes sense.
1: I mean, it's not... It's hard because we're watching a pretty low-quality version of it. It is not a good-looking movie in any way. Uh, And I also don't particularly like... That song, that Norman Loves Rose song that plays, is a pretty catchy fucking song. I'll give it that. Even if it's... The suggestion of what it's about is disgusting and weird. Uh, I also... You know, normally in these situations, Liam, what I would say is, oh, the good thing about it is Carol Kane's performance, but I'll have to be honest, I think she is not good here. Part of it is not her fault because her character is this, I hate this fucking phrase, but she's a cold fish, right? She's like, she doesn't seem to care about anything. All she wants to do is lay in bed and watch TV, but also that combined with the accent and the low energy aspect of it, it's just... There's nothing here to grasp onto for me. I just really had a miserable time watching this. movie. I mean,
0: the only part in the movie where she emotes is when she's pretending to have sex with a child, yes. right? Like, and and granted, I don't know if they're what they're doing. It really feels like a like more of a uh, of a uh, of a uh, cunnilingus scene just because of the way it's shot. But whatever's supposed to be happening there, it's the one time we see her emote anything, and it's sexual pleasure. And that would be fine if we weren't knowing that she's in bed with Norman. And so it's gross, right? And it's like, great. So we get to see her do one bit of acting, and it's awful. It's an awful reminder that this is not a detached, silly thing. This is like a real sexual relationship. (laughs) You're not going to put that on your acting reel. That's No, hopefully not. Jesus (laughs) Christ. Uh, I got to say, there's one thing in the movie that is stupid, and it's very stupid, but it's the only thing that they do it enough that I think it kind of works for the relationship at play. And that is how much Michael hates his dad smoking and how in every (laughs) moment he's around the smoking, he's doing this effeminate cough that's (laughs) supposed to suggest, I don't want you to smoke, but he never has the guts to say, don't fucking smoke. Like he's just, if I cough enough in a really put out way, then my dad will get the message. And he never gets the message. He's always smoking a cigar. That is the only consistent idea. Now, is it really funny? No, but at least they had one beat one fucking character beat that they nail the whole movie that just gives you a little picture to their relationship because it's like, oh, I get it. He would never tell his dad not to smoke, but he's also not like uh, – secu- You know, he, he he can't help himself but passive-aggressively cough every time he's around his dad. That is pretty good. I, I thought that, that was a pretty good that thing. That feels like an observation, like a real observation. That's yes. something that yes. someone would actually do and yes. maybe even
1: like a cultural one. I will say that the David Downer, who plays Michael – like, that's a hard role because the movie is yeah. shitting on him a bit. Yeah. And I think he's pretty good. Uh, he's playing very broad, but I think he does a pretty good job. I do have a question for you, Liam. And it, it's I, I, I'm embarrassed because I didn't understand it. Like, he's a dentist in the movie. And that's a big part of what his yeah. character is about. And um, at one point, Norman goes in and he fucks with his equipment. And it means that he ends
0: up hurting one of his patients. What does he do? What does Norman do to his equipment? 100%, not only did I not understand it, I didn't understand what happened to the patient. And I don't understand why he looked embarrassed the shot after the patient runs yeah, out. Right. He looks embarrassed like it was sexual. And I'm like, did I miss a reference? What's fucking happening here? I, none of it made sense to I'm me. Glad, I'm
1: glad it wasn't just me because then he goes into therapy immediately. He goes to see a psychiatrist. And it's just like, yeah, it, it really... I, I, I didn't understand it. And also, some of the dialogue was hard to understand at that point. So it was. Well, yeah. I,
0: I want to point out, too, this movie is poorly edited. There are multiple scenes that cut off in a way that make me think the copy we were watching is fucked up. Oh,
1: oh there were some, definitely some bits where it just. There was some sort of glitch in the tape. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: It's just. But it's actual scenes and stuff. I, I think, Doug, that like either this is just a poorly edited movie or the copy we were watching might have had some shit cut out.
1: Maybe. Uh, didn't you think it was weird that the, it starts with this kind of uh, Norman coming out of school and then he gets on the bus and it starts playing the song. And th- the song plays while he goes and sees Carol Kane's character and touches her stomach while she's pregnant. And then he goes over and sees his mother who gives him some food because the suggestion from the song is that he needs the food to be big and strong so he can continue to fuck his sister-in-law. But then, there, then it cuts to his brother and – Carol Kane arriving at the house and him like getting freaked out by them arriving and her being pregnant. And then a voiceover says, are you confused? Whoa, this is what happened. And then it cuts back. And then there's no voiceover for the rest of the movie. It seems really oddly structured.
0: Yeah. It's psychotic, Doug. It's a crazy thing that has happened in that. And it's done in such a way that like, also in the context
1: of the movie, he knows she's pregnant before she starts to show. So I
0: don't understand like what that is like. How what was the context of that scene? The confusion is supposed to be that even though he is visually a child, when you see him going to the house, you're like, "Oh, he fucked Carol Kane and that's his baby," because that's a normal thing for thirteen year olds to do. And then the surprise Doug is, "Oh no, she's walking in with another man." That's what you're so confused about. Wait a minute, I thought she was fucking the child. Who's this other asshole? That oh, doesn't man. make <laughs> any sense. I'm I'm one hundred percent serious. Like that is. What? That's how the movie starts, and from that moment, Doug, I knew this movie was going to fucking suck. <laughs> not, not because, because here, here's the thing, y'all. I I want to be clear: any movie that is based on this premise <laughs> is bad in and of itself because it's so fucked up. However, the movie could have worked in other ways. There could have been things that we go, it's a shitty premise, but that was pretty funny, or that was well done, or you know, there was some interesting complexities between their relationship with this and, that and the other. The double curse here is that this was a bad idea from top to bottom a bad idea. And then when you executed that bad idea, you did it as badly as you possibly could. And that is like my thing is that like there are plenty of comedies that aren't funny that I can still even see like why you thought it might be funny. Like, oh, there's shit in this scene. That's funny. Oh, he pissed himself or oh, he said a bad word. I guess that's funny. Oh, you're racist. I get why you think this is funny. I can't understand why any of this is supposed to be funny. Even if I thought this man was anti-Semitic and this was an anti-Jewish film, the movie doesn't work, right? Like none of it works and that's why I'm so confused. We've already covered it, but let's just solidify here. Carol Kane's not great in the movie and it's a bummer because that's why we do the show. Uh, And if she was great, then maybe we'd feel a little better about the movie. I mean, that's happened with Eric Roberts, where we've watched a nightmare movie and then been like, well, at least Eric's good at it. And that's that's fun.
1: I mean, you're wrong, Liam, because she was nominated for uh (laughs) she's so
0: bad at the movie. (laughs) (laughs) Again, it's not her. Like, I don't want to say because she's we've already you guys have listened to the show. I hope. Hopefully this isn't your first episode. You know, we love her and she's great in a million things. She's bad in we, this. We must love her. We have a podcast devoted to her. Yeah, she's bad in this, and it's one hundred percent not her fucking fault. She's doing, I think, what she's meant to do, which is shitty. And this movie sucks, and this director sucks, and I don't want to see anything else he's done. That's just. I'm just putting it out there. That's just how I, I have a
1: question for you, Liam, and it's a very uncomfortable question, which okay. is the fact that Rose looks like Carol Kane, and I don't mean that she looks young, though she looks younger than she actually is. But I just mean that that she's this kind of frail, like, if that character was like a a, a very overtly uh, model like attractive type uh, character, right? Does that change? Like, does that make the movie worse or better? Right? The fact that we're having we have an actual actress who. Is playing a real character who's obviously going through depression about her inability to get pregnant and that maybe there's some sort of desperation that goes into why she makes the decision that she makes to have sex with a 13 year old like that the movie doesn't play into that it doesn't it doesn't explore that in any way but it's very strange that that rose is talked about by other people as this you know I just wonder if part of Carol Kane's casting is to make it more explainable that her husband wouldn't be attracted to her. I know that's a really weird question or a really weird point to make, but it just seems like they're, she's very specifically been cast, right? They went out of their way to cast an American actress in this role. I just don't know why they
0: did it. Well, I think partly, uh, I mean, Quinn, honestly, partly it's to sell the Jewishness of the movie. Yeah, I, I think, suppose I that's think, true. I think that's part yeah, of it. Yeah, because she
1: was associated so closely. At that time, people would have really still remembered Hester Street.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's, I think that's part of it. I do think you're right. She's certainly not uh, – the only reason I'm agreeing with you is because, for whatever reason, we have a scene of Michael explaining the girl he used to like yeah. as, as a – That's as what, a, that's as what a, I'm getting at. As a, a, yeah, yeah. a big-breasted goy. And I think – You've cast an actress who's more slight and who's very Jewish. The idea is like he's not – and but again, what is that meant to accomplish? To show that yeah. Michael is maybe uncomfortable with his Jewishness? That could be part of it. He certainly isn't stoked on certain aspects of it, it seems like. But, uh, but also is it like, well, she's less attractive? It, there's also the thing of like – it might be not just her, right? But then this other woman who's already been jilted by her husband. He left her for this other woman who's supposed to be more attractive, though I don't know that she's that much more attractive than the other woman per se. I think the whole thing is kind of weird. Then she's also attracted to Norman at the end there. So is the idea that, like, that all these wives who feel not well-treated, are more susceptible to fuck children? I don't know, man. Yeah, I don't know. The whole thing is weird. It's so weird. And, And I get it. There might be someone listening who thinks, like, well, this does happen. Like, we hear about this shit all the time. Uh, I think just last week there were nine teachers arrested, uh, in the U.S. for doing these sorts of things, uh, and specifically like like female teachers with young uh yeah yeah uh, boys, yeah, yeah, yeah. and so it's gross. This happens and it's gross, and um, it it has partly to do with how we talk about male sexuality. That you know, all, because men have to be thought of as sexually aggressive at all times. We've got these boys who really don't know what the fuck is going on, jumping into relationships because they think that's what they're supposed to do and not realizing that they're being uh victims of a predator. That happens. It's a real thing. This movie isn't about that though. It no nope. it does everything it can to avoid the statutory rape ness of this plot. It's just like yeah, yeah. yeah, he's younger. It's fine. Don't worry. And about let's it. face it, this is a happy ending,
1: right? Yes. Everyone gets what they want out of it. Yeah. It's very
0: Oh, he's gonna get a new lady out of this. Sure.
1: And she's probably yeah. gonna Maybe get pregnant a series. Too. A, I mean, yeah it, it's, Liam, would you recommend Norman Loves Ross? <laughs> uh, no <laughs> This is the kind of movie That you might play At a movie marathon Just to see what people's Reactions to it are That's because true it's so messed up
0: I would recommend this As a prank on your friends
1: Yes, that's exactly right <laughs> Yeah,
0: yeah All right uh, that's it for this episode. On our next episode, we're going to be talking about uh, 1983 TV movie An Invasion of Privacy and 1981's The Girls in the Summer Dresses. Although, then you put 1982 after that. So, I don't know what that's supposed to signify. But
1: uh, uh, let me explain it to you. Uh, do it. Do it. Do it. <laughs> it was actually so. The Girls in Their Summer Dresses is an adaptation of, I think, a short story that was part of Great Performances on PBS, and it was put, it was then packaged and showed uh, as a collection of these short stories. We're just going to watch the adaptation of The Girls in Their Summer Dresses, even though, yes, it was from 1980, 81. Uh, we're just putting it in this kind of, of time because it's only like a half hour long. And okay. We're pairing it up, Liam, with 1983 is An Invasion of Privacy starring Valerie Harper, Maine townsfolk doubt a divorcee new in town Who accuses a local handyman of rape Let's see how this particular fucking film has aged
0: I mean, it's going to be terrible, but I'm I'm a little more excited about this one, I'll be honest, just because even if it's terrible, it might be a little more interesting, but I did try we'll to see. sell
1: it to you a little bit. You might not see at the end of the notes, uh, even though the the subject matter sounds pretty rough, the supporting cast is very interesting. It, it actually was Sarah Michelle Gellar's TV debut as a child, obviously, also has Richard Master, uh, Jeff Daniels, and Jerry Orbach is in the film, Liam.
0: Cool. Yeah, I'm so much more excited now. I hey. <laughs> Hey, Doug, if 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 uh, if despite the content of this episode, people wanted more from us and from uh, our network friends, where would they go?
1: Well, you can always find a collection of wonderful podcasts over at cinepunks.com and not just podcasts, including uh, some wonderful writing. Uh, from you yourself, Liam, you've done some writing over at Cinepunks.com recently. Uh, what was the festival that you... Uh, you
0: uh, the Chicago Critics Film Festival was recently, and I, despite having a brief like uh, run-in with illness, which seems to always happen when I go to a film festival, I've managed to get uh, three of the f- five films I watched reviewed. I'm hoping to get the last two done. Uh, Soon, So if when you're hearing this and you were curious about the Chicago Critics Film Festival, head on over there. Uh, Some of those movies are going to be coming out pretty soon, even to this actually coming out. So uh, specifically, (laughs) I'd recommend uh, my review of Past Lives if you're curious about that movie.
1: Uh, if, there's also lots of great podcasts over at cinepunks.com, but if you want to check out our entire Praising Kane archive, as well as other uh, themed podcasts, you can go over to cinemasmorgasbord.com. We have podcasts to such diverse topics as the career of Carol Kane, of course, Jackie Chan, Alejandro Jodorowsky, Paul Bartel, many more, Steve Buscemi, and others over at cinemasmorgasport.com or on Twitter at cinemasmorg, S-M-O-R-G. You can, of course, follow CinePunks on all of your social media places of choice, Uh, usually under the name CinePunks. I think it's on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter as well. Uh, you can follow Liam on Twitter, at Liam Rules. That's R-U-L-Z. I'm on there as well, at Doug underscore Tilly. That's T-I-L-L-E-Y. Uh, and if you're enjoying what you're hearing, or even if you're not, why don't you leave us a review on your podcast provider of choice, though still leave a positive one, even if you're not enjoying yourself. If you know a friend who might be interested in checking out Mortgage Board, why don't you let him know about it? It's the best way to spread the word and leave us ad-free. Liam, you got anything else to say?
0: No, just uh, thanks for listening <laughs> and have a good night. <laughs> yeah. Talk to